Pringle Franklin will now introduce our wonderful speakers today. Thank you. I want you to look around the room right now and see how many people are here. If you are here, it is not by chance. We are all here because the Lord brought two special people together, Dr. Ann Colts and Father Nicholas Amato. When their paths crossed, it changed Dr. Ann's life in a profound way. Now she's gonna tell you about that in a few minutes. My path crossed with Dr. Ann's through something called Centering Prayer. Many of you know I'm teaching a Sunday school class here on Centering Prayer. And you just wouldn't believe how many people are asking me, what is that? Is that Eastern meditation? Is that mindfulness? Is that safe for Christians to do? Well, Dr. Ann introduced me to Father Nicholas. He is an expert on centering prayer, also called contemplative prayer. And it turns out, lo and behold, it's something that the Catholic Church has been doing from the beginning of Christianity. And he's going to talk to you a lot about it today, as is Dr. Ann. And so in order for you to get more out of the program, I wanted to clear up a few questions just so that when you listen to them, you won't be wondering what exactly are they talking about. Okay, so centering prayer is not mindfulness. Mindfulness is when people calm themselves down by using hyper-awareness. And it works like this. Let's say that you were caught in a traffic jam and you were very pressed for time and you began to feel stressed and anxious. You could practice mindfulness by simply closing your eyes, doing some deep breathing, and paying hyper-attention to your breath. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out and it allows your mind to create some distance between the drama of what's happening in the traffic jam. It's as simple as that. That is not centering prayer. Centering prayer is also not Eastern meditation. With Eastern meditation, instead of using awareness, people practice detachment. So when someone sits down to meditate in the Eastern style, they are trying to block out and detach any physical sensations they may be feeling. So if their leg's going to sleep, they're trying to ignore it, basically. And they're trying not to think about whatever thoughts are coming up in their mind, whatever feelings they may be having. So through detachment, they're creating space to calm down. That is not centering prayer. Now the church also has the word meditation that you will hear. This is something that you're all already doing most of the time. When you read the Bible, sometimes a passage of scripture will catch your eye, it will catch your attention, and you'll stop and you'll read it again and again and you'll ponder what is the deeper meaning. That is meditating on the scriptures. That is what we call meditating as Christians. You might sit there and pray for the Lord to show you how can I apply this to my life? But that is also not centering prayer. Centering prayer or contemplative prayer is actually the other side of the coin to what you are already doing. So in your regular prayer life, you're talking to God. And in centering prayer, 
You are working on listening to God. It is basically very simple. You sit down and you focus on your love of Christ and your love of God, and you let go of everything else. You rest in his presence quietly and in stillness, and you allow him the opportunity to speak to you. If he chooses to speak to you, that's wonderful. If he doesn't speak to you, you have rested in his presence and you will finish feeling refreshed. It's as simple as that. If you would like to learn more about it or perhaps have a chance to practice, I invite you to join us on Sunday during the Sunday School Hour in our chapel, the Chapel of the Good Shepherd. So before I turn the stage over to Dr. Ann, I do just want to tell you that she grew up here in Charleston and she grew up here in our church. And we are so lucky to have a resource like her in our parish because she is nationally known as an expert on nutrition and wellness and disease prevention. People call her all the time from around the country and say, can you come and speak to us? Can you tell us about healthy living? She is in high demand and she is right here with us today. She's also the author of six books, award-winning books, I'm gonna show you one of them, that have recipes and tips. Now, she loves Father Nicholas's book so much, Living in God, which I have read, and it's a great guide to contemplative prayer, that she says, whoever buys, that's one per customer, ladies, but whoever buys one of Father, you can buy as many of these books if, as you would like, but she's going to give you one of her books when you buy a book of Father Nicholas's, and they're back there, um, on the table after our program, and they will be signed. Father Nicholas has another book that's coming out soon called Moving from Stress to Joy, and it is about his work with people who have been suffering from addiction and helping them to overcome that. And there is a handout on that book on the table back there. So not only is Dr. Ann famous nationally, she is the biggest fan of Father Nicholas. Father Nicholas has been a Catholic priest for more than 50 years. He's done parish ministry in Baltimore, Maryland for more than 20 years. He then worked in Allentown, Pennsylvania at the St. Luke Center, as I mentioned, helping people overcome addiction, particularly Catholic clergy overcome addiction. And he is an expert on contemplative prayer. He gives workshops and lectures all up and down the East Coast, and he's an associate member up at Mepkin Abbey he does retreats there in the winter and in the spring, and they sell out. As soon as they, they open up, they sell out. So with no further ado, I'm going to turn the stage over to our very own Dr. Ann. Oh, okay, thank you so much, Pringle, for that introduction and for paving the way, really, for me to be here and share. Um, a little bit about my relationship with Father Amato and how, through his guidance and his example, um, and really his love, my faith was totally transformed and thus my quality of life. And I have to say that um, I'm speaking totally out of the box for myself, that virtually all of my talks are related to healthy eating and healthy living. Um, and I'm going to give you a little nugget, because I would be doing myself, a, I think, a bit of injustice not to acknowledge Connie, 
and to let you all know that you're going to leave here healthier than when you came because you had an opportunity and hopefully you did indulge in those dark leafy greens. Dark leafy greens are the healthiest food on the planet. Uh, be sure to get some dark chocolate because it is a treat, a sweet that you can love that will absolutely love you back. And otherwise, uh, I hope you ate lots of those wonderful plant-based foods. You can, you can become an expert in nutrition overnight if you know these two things. What defines the healthiest diet, and there's a broad range of healthiest diets, thankfully, thank, thanks be to God, right? You can be vegan, vegetarian, and omnivorous, and paleo, and pescatarian, all different. But two things you must be able to check off the box. One is that the majority of what you eat is plant-based foods, and the other thing is that you're eating God's foods. You're eating whole, real foods that come from the earth, okay? All right. Now, with that, uh, and knowing that how passionate I am about healthy living and healthy eating, I'm going to go on to tell you that what I'm going to share with you today, although I'm a very much a beginner, I'm coming to quickly realize at a personal level and even a scientific level, maybe the quickest and most transformative of all healthy living practices. So my story begins here. This was about a decade ago, and I had the opportunity to go to Mepkin Abbey and provide formal wellness training to the priest and to the brothers. And uh, that was at the invitation of David George, who's their nurse. He's a, a, he is a friend and a passionate wellness advocate. And so there I am with Brother Joe, who is head of the cook. So he was a prime, the head cook, he was a prime target. And then Father Garrick, you may know, who is head of the retreat center. And that forged um, a, a remarkable relationship that's ongoing that I absolutely cherish. And then you can, I'm going to fast forward many years later. And through David George, I had the opportunity to meet Father Amada. And what happened was, David called me and said, Anne, would you be willing to sit down with a Catholic priest, his name is Father Nicholas Amato, to talk about a priest wellness program that he is interested in um, initiating and actually hosting at Mepkin Abbey's new, beautiful, amazing retreat center? And I said, I'd be happy to do that. Frankly, I didn't think anything more of that. I had the conversation on the phone. And maybe a week later, uh, Father Nicholas and uh, David came over to my house. We sat down in the living room, and Father Nicholas began by sharing a little bit about uh, his background as a Catholic priest, and, and I will tell you with striking humility, because he's quite accomplished. Then he proceeded to tell me about his personal wellness story, which is mind-blowing, and that immediately established a very strong connection, and then told me a bit about his aspirations and his goals for this priest wellness program. And something happened right away um, that is frankly hard for me to put into words. And at first, it was a bit quiet, and it quickly grew louder and louder and louder to the point that it was absolutely roaring. And I could come up with every positive adjective on the face of the earth, and none of them can describe what I experienced in that room. I mean, it was so glorious. It was so uplifting. It was so um, exhilarating. It was so wondrous. I mean, I, I literally kind of got swept up off my feet to the point that I have two children that were in the kitchen, and it was everything in my power not to run out of that room and say, you've got to come in this room and feel what I am feeling. And I didn't know what was happening to me at the moment, um, but I knew I wanted more of that. And I know now 
because Nicholas is a lifelong practitioner of Centering Prayer, and the ultimate goal with Centering Prayer is to become one who lives in the presence of God and manifests that presence to others without speaking, preaching, teaching, or even, you know, even saying a word. So what ha- you all know what happened to me in that room, right? That room absolutely filled with God's grace, God's love, and it was just pouring out of Nicholas. And to make a short, uh, short story even shorter, I said, I'm in. Well, I became a faculty member, and as a faculty member, it meant that I had to be trained in this practice because Centering Prayer was the foundation of the retreats. So there I am with Nicholas and seven of our retreatants. There are three countries represented in that group. We're having uh, lunch uh, that they prepared with me at my house. Um, and that was, you know, a glorious experience that sort of, conti- you know, continued my sort of passion and longing to, to do this more and learn more about it. So fast forward to today, and I found out, which I don't think was uh, on accident, a couple of days ago that I have engaged in 735 sessions of contemplative prayer, I guess since that time, which I think was 2014, Uh, and logged over 186 hours of simply sitting and totally surrendering myself in absolute silence to God's loving embrace. Because, you know, Pringle said, that is what you do in Centering Prayer. And if you think it's hard, it's because it is so easy, right? Now, so what, and how do I know that? because it's an app that uh, many people that engage this practice use called Insight Timer, because you're losing yourself to God, so you don't want to have to keep up with like time or anything, you don't want to look at a clock, so a little timer that dings at the beginning and dings when you're done, right? Depending on how much time you wish to choose to sit in God's loving embrace. And so it tells you. I didn't know that until a couple of days ago, and I thought, I thought that's God's, God's message that I need to share that with the group. Somehow it may encourage you in this practice. Now, so what has happened in my life? The true fruits of centering prayer are obvious. Um, it is it's for your faith. And I could talk all day about the things that it's done for me in my life and with my faith, but I'm gonna, we don't have a lot of time, and I'm going to do it really quick. At the top of the list is relationship and connection. It has so awakened me to God's guidance and love and hand in my life. And I was thinking, how can I describe to people um, the magnitude of this? And I'll say it like this. It was like prior to centering prayer, I had some old-fashioned rabbit ears that were tuned to the frequency of God's love. And oftentimes, they flip and fell off. And it's like now I have this massive, huge satellite dish (laughs) that is just constantly being bombarded. I mean, I experienced God all day, every day, and I mean, every time anything happens good to me, whether it's the tiniest thing, like a drop of glass and it doesn't break, or, or something really wonderful and big good, you know, a huge blessing, like a child calling me and giving me uh, great news about something that they have accomplished or done, I immediately know it's God. And for all the bad things, um, instead of, you know, poor, poor, pitiful me, I'm now, and you have been so good at helping with this, I look at it like, okay, I am miserable, and this is really painful, and, you know, but what, what is God trying to tell me through this misery and through this pain? 
In terms of my prayer, it has dramatically increased the quantity, the quality, the passion, the heartfulness in which I pray. Uh, scripture. This has just happened in the last year. And it's like, and I, you know, listen, I have many times read the Bible in the past, and it just never really, really spoke to me. Um, it was, and it, it's like, the best way to describe it, it's like I suddenly became fluent in the language. And now not only does it speak to me, it sings to me sometimes. Every time I read it, I, I, it's like, ah. The third thing, self-awareness, excuse me, the fourth thing. I've never done this talk before. I'm sure you can tell. Uh, self-awareness. So it's made me sometimes painfully aware of, you know, little old pathetic bad me, right? So it is sort of uh, brings into focus the times when I'm absolutely not behaving as I know Christ would want me to. Uh, and, and that can be a real a great thing and an important thing. So it, it basically it's made me much more aware of my sinning, and which is also affirmation of why I need the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in my life um, because of that. And I have to tell you, this is where the doctor in me is going to come out um, because you need to know that there are some major side effects from this practice, but they're all gloriously good. And there have been thousands of studies published over the last 20 years telling us that when we quiet our minds and we come into the present moment, which is step one in Centering Prayer, is purely cognitive. It is not where you want to stay, but it is a door you must go through to get to where you really want to be, which is union with God. And in that first phase, it's purely cognitive. You're quieting that mind. You're forgetting about everything else except right here, right now. And then the next phase is you are then focusing every bit of that and giving yourself totally full surrender to God. So that first phase in health and in medicine, in psychiatry, is referred to as an MBI, a mindfulness-based intervention. So I'm going to give you the highlights of what published studies have, have shown that this practice can do. We're going to start with the um, mental emotional benefits. Decrease anxiety, increase focus and concentration, decrease depression, improve sleep, decrease addiction, enhance memory, increase creativity, decrease anger, increase stress resiliency, decrease stress. And I have, I have to share that I've experienced many of these things in my own life uh, as a result of the practice. And in terms of side effects for the body, MBIs have been shown, and they're using this in cancer centers, cardiac rehab um, um, units, addiction centers. It's becoming very mainstream, thankfully, in medicine. Side effects for the body, it's been shown to help treat high blood pressure, fatigue, chronic pain, eating disorders, IBS, insomnia, headaches, IBD, heart disease, asthma. And you say, what's happening? And they, they studied this too. They know exactly what's happening. When we enter this phase right, of mindfulness, 
the big old bad stress hormone cortisol gets shut off. What's happening is the parasympathetic nervous system is turned on, and at the same time, the sympathetic nervous system is turned off. Parasympathetic is rest and digest. Your sympathetic is fight or flight. So we're, we're damping down that stress response. So what are some of the things that we know? Just some of the things that we know happen physiologically. This increases feelings of calm, uh, feelings of being calm and mental well-being, lowers heart rate, lowers blood pressure, increases blood flow, enhances digestion, glandular func function, puts your body into repair, rebuild, rejuvenate mode, can boost your metabolism. That's good. That means improve weight control. Improve your sleep. But the biggest benefit of all is this right here. It lowers inflammation. So what happens when we are stressed it is at the level of the brain, the whole entire body ultimately becomes inflamed. Uh, and this is something we now know in terms of how stress damages the body, okay? And what's important to know about inflammation is we now know at the cellular level, excess inflammation is the primary driver of virtually all diseases. There's not a disease you can name to me that is not somehow related to excess inflammation. And when, thus, when you lower inflammation, health can transform in all aspects of health, just because of the relationship between excess inflammation and disease. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to my dear friend, Father Omato. Thank you. Now that is a hard act to follow, let me tell you. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. Thank you, Ann. Thank you, Pringle. Uh, you can see me down here, can't you? I would just want to get, I was a nightclub entertainer for a while, so I like to be in the group. <laughs> I'm from the city of uh, Jerry Seinfeld, you know where that is. Um, but I'm not Jewish. <clears throat> we all have a prayer life today. You wouldn't be here, it seems to me, if you didn't. The question is, how did that develop? Where is it today? And what is it open to? And I want to begin with myself as a 10-year-old, 1951, moving from what was called the city, Brooklyn, New York, to the country, which was uh, Lindbrook, the home of Ray Romano and that series, you know. Um, moving to Lindbrook, uh, which was the country. So here I am, a little 10-year-old, not raised in the church. My parents were from Italy, uh, born in Italy. We never went to Mass, so we never went to services. Uh, I didn't go to a funeral until I was in eighth grade. So, so here I am, a 10-year-old, and now I'm in the country, and on one side of this uh, fixer-upper farmhouse, you probably know what fixer-uppers are in this city, uh, was the woods, and on the other side was, were fields and a kind of meadows. And I would love, as a 10-year-old, to sit in the woods and just stare into the woods. And that was really the beginning of my prayer life, but I did not know it. My mother, who was an overachiever, uh, would say, what are you doing, Nikki? And I'd say, oh, I'm just thinking. She said, well, don't think. You scare me when you sit that way. <laughs> you scare me. Read a book. 
So, you know, after enough haranguing, read a book, read a book, read a book, I would pick up the book. And then about 10 minutes later, right here, you're not turning the pages. So what I was really doing was I was in prayer, but I didn't have any prayer forms to augment, to help me verbalize, to articulate what I was going through. Does that make sense? So I didn't have any prayer forms, no verbal vocal prayer. Uh, I, had the, I think I was taught the, Lord, the Lord's Prayer, but that was it. In terms of meditation, the only medit- I didn't have any Bible stories. So the biggest meditation I had was at Christmas time when we would put up the manger scene, the crash, and I would play with the figures like they were soldiers. Hi, Mary, Joseph, get on the donkey, let's go to Egypt. <laughs> boom, 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 you know. But I'm meditating, I'm creating out of my own imagination a way of identifying with something that's holy. So verbal, vocal, meditation. What I really was doing was contemplating. I was really letting myself go and getting lost. Getting lost in the present, getting lost in the woods, getting lost in the meadow, uh, watching ants build a mound, uh, building a whippoorwill on a stream that was nearby. Lost. Lost. But without articulation and without knowing what I was doing. So I called it thinking. And as I continued to grow, uh, I had this longing. Uh, I couldn't even call it a longing. I was just unsettled. Um, I, you know, I had playmates, but I just was so unsettled that the only thing that brought me uh, relief, not relief, but fulfillment, was this sitting alone and being still. And as overactive active and as OCD as I am today, you can see that, I'm sure, and I haven't even had any of the chocolate yet. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't dare. Um, so uh, when you're old, you know, when you're hyperactive and you're young, you're just a, a bother and a nuisance. When you're old, you're so energetic. So it really pays off in the end, let me tell you. <laughs> when I in our Catholic school, I'd go with the kids, and they'd see me opening doors in the morning with the principal, and they'd say, Father Nick, have you had coffee this morning? So anyway, so, uh, so there I was, stuck, uh, without anything. Uh, some verbal vocal prayer, limited. And I remember just one thing, uh, how I started to believe that I wanted to be holy, but for boys, that wasn't a great thing to aspire to. Uh, you know, being a vandal was, uh, yelling was, you know, all the pulling girls' hair was, you know, the usual, especially your own sisters. Uh, so I, I really was searching around for something, and I remember uh, trying to pin it down and looking at people that I thought were holy, but I didn't know what holiness was. So I would see some of these old Italian ladies all dressed in black reading prayer books and these little cards they got from funeral homes. So I thought, whoa, that's, it's got to do with those cards. I'm going to get me some cards. So I would, you know, went to this funeral after a while and I had the funeral home and I would steal cards. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't an ethical question for me. It was a question of longing for something that I couldn't pinpoint. And so I'd have all these different, you know, saints on the front. You say, and I'd fantasize that the saints, you know, they're all depicted different ways, arrows, spears, swords, you know, <laughs> eyes on the plate, you know, all kinds of ways. And I would just fantasize about what that life was like. So I started to grow in this love of I don't know what. My mother would say, what are you doing? What are those, where'd you get all these cards? <laughs> so so I, was, I was longing. So, so the yearning was there. So here's what I just want to say to you to cap off this piece. 
When we are created by God, God knits us in our mother's womb. And we are knit of the same material that God is made of. And then God lets us out through the birth canal into the world. Now, the goal is that God wants us back, but wants us back on our, using our own free will to love God in return. So you've got to understand God's love for you, no matter what, without any condition, that God, no matter how much of a sinner I am, that God just loves me and wants me back. Now, to make that happen, uh, God implants in us a kind of a, like an appetite, like a, a longing. And it's kind of like um, when you're thirsty, the, 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 uh, the, the, the idea is to be the thirsty gets you to water, hunger gets you to food, uh, tiredness gets you to sleep. God's longing that's placed, our longing for God that's placed in us is to get us back to God on our own free will. Okay, that's, so out we come. Now, for, for anyone, for no one, is it a straight route back? For no one. It's a very circuitous, blind alley, crazy kind of route. It's kind of like the GPS lady, you know, the mother of the universe. Turn right at the light. No, I want to go left. Make the first legal U-turn. <laughs> no, I want to go straight. Rerouting, rerouting, you know, it's that kind of thing. We do end up getting there very circuitously. Now, I know no one here has been like that with that lady on that, whoever she is somewhere, sitting, knowing everything and watching all this. But just know that you have this longing. So all I want to establish right now is that you have a longing, that you have a longing for the divine. You have a longing for God that was placed in you when you were created out of God's love. And that's the journey you're on. And for me, that first recognition was 10 years old, uh, sitting in the woods, thinking. So with that, I want to say there are three kinds of prayer that Pringle outlined. Uh, verbal vocal. Many people are very uh, aware of verbal vocal prayer. What they are often aware of is that it hasn't produced much fruit. Or I pray and my, quote, prayers aren't answered. And um, that's kind of the nature of prayers that are verbal vocal. Meditation moves you, as Anne said, or Pringle said, a little step deeper. Because verbal vocal prayer is thinking and speaking. So that's the cognitive activity. Meditation moves you a little deeper because it's not so much speaking, but it's it's creating, it's imagining, it's uh, seeing and experiencing God as you see and experience God. So if your imagination is much more fruitful than mine, you're going to have a, a better experience. That's what meditation is about. So if you're the woman uh, you know, being stoned in a circle and you can feel, see Jesus standing next to you, and being willing to take the heat with you, and he stands by you, he doesn't condemn you, and those shameful people are sent away with heads bowed, knowing that they're just as sinful. But you feel that protection, that unconditional positive regard for you. That's a very satisfying, fulfilling answer to prayer. 
contemplation, the third column, verbal, vocal, meditation, contemplation, the third column is cognitive activity, but it's nothing you're doing. You're not doing anything ex except disposing yourself to God's presence. That's all you're doing. So if you're trying to make it happen, it's not going to happen. All you've got to do is dispose yourself to God's presence. So to dispose yourself to God's presence is going to take a quiet environment, very difficult at your home, you know that, God knows, and I don't even know where you live. But it, it's very difficult. I know, I just visited with my sister for three days, and she didn't stop once. She didn't stop once. I just said, Fran, ah, stop. So, so we live in such a crazy world. So, so, so the conditions for presence, contemplation, are to have an environment that's conducive to quiet, to silence. The second is to be able to uh, breathe through a level of relaxation so that your mind is quiet, to breathe through a level of relaxation. This sounds Eastern, but it's not. We breathe in the West as well, okay? <laughs> so it's just breathing. So if anybody thinks it's Buddhist or Zen, you know, don't get nervous. It's just breathing. So, but breathing to relaxation. So if you're stressed at a level of 10 stress, you got to breathe to about a level of four. Because if you don't, and you try the next step, and you're at eight, your mind is too, is, is too active, and you're going to be struggling because you didn't face the relaxation piece of it. So we're in column three, verbal, vocal, meditation, contemplation. It's, what it takes is disposing yourself to God's presence. And the way you do that is, first, quiet environment. So before the, this program, I was trying to find a place to go. I finally sat on the back staircase to the children's section, and somebody was very gracious to close the doors behind me, and I sat quiet. I just needed some prayer time. I just needed to be still. I just needed to be grounded. Okay? So environment, breathing, and then because Christian contemplation is very different from Eastern meditation and mindfulness, you then introduce a sacred word, a word that in some way is not holy, so it doesn't have to be Jesus, it doesn't have to be Abba, it doesn't have to be Sanctus, any kind of word. A word, but the word has to be a symbol of your intention to be with God. And, it's got twofold, an intention to be with God, and that in some way, uh, uh, it's a word that expresses your desire to live out of that presence. So to recap, column three, contemplation. Quiet environment, breathing from 10 to 4. This is really a quick course. It's all in the book. 10 to 4, because if you're not at 4, at least 4, it's going to be tough. Okay, then you introduce the word. Uh, if I were to do that right now, what would I say? It would be gracious. Gracious. The word that you're going to use, the I call the sacred word, uh, has to be, uh, it could be one syllable, but no more than four. So gracious is two. Uh, it could be gracious God or gracious, gracious Lord Jesus, but no more than four, and I'll tell you why in a minute. So once you've got that word, which is a symbol of your intention to be with God and to live out of that presence, a, part A and part B, and you introduce that word. Now, because it's at least one syllable, no more than four, you synchronize it 
this is John Maine, who was a Benedict, an English Benedictine. You synchronize the sacred word or words to your breathing. So if it was, I love you, Lord, uh, I love you, Lord. So it would be, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. You're saying this to yourself, okay? So environment is quiet. You're breathing to a four, and you introduce the sacred word. I love, it could just be Jesus, but that's a holy word. We want a sacred word for you in the moment. It could just be, here I am. It could be anything. Okay, so here I am. Here I am. So now, those are, that's, those are the tools. When you're able to, you let go of the word. Now, able to means you don't need it anymore. Because you see, it's so minimal, you're trying to get rid of everything that has the burden of, of material stuff to it. So when you're able to let go of it, you let go of the word, and all you do is reflect. Uh, all you do is be aware of the breathing. And then when you're able to let go of awareness of the breathing, you just float into God's presence. I use the word float because a lot of the mystics do that. Um, uh, Hildegard of Bingen talks about uh, a feather on the breath of God. Uh, whatever word's good for you. I like floating because uh, that's my experience of what I, what's happening. Uh, and, you know, floating, uh, you know, if you were children, you were taught how to float. You know, I can remember my mother in her black bathing suit with that little skirt on it, you know, in the old days. <laughs> they don't wear those anymore, do they? <laughs> anyway, they still do? Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Uh, anyway, so, you know, I can remember her teaching me how to float. And she'd say, okay, Nikki, I'm right here. I'm, my hand's underneath your body. You feel it? Yeah, I do. I'm scared. Will you just stop? Listen to me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Okay, you're going to be all right. Now, what's going to happen is I'm going to lower you down into the water. The water's going to come up around your ears, but you're going to be okay. Okay, you trust me? Yeah. You ready to do this? Okay. Here we go. One, two. I'm scared! Will you stop that? It's a little bit of the same kind of thing. You've got to just let go and trust, and you will float. So those are the tools to get into the presence. The tool, and it's not, it's, it's the flow of grace. It's got nothing to do with what you're making God do. The grace of God is present everywhere, everywhere. It's just disposing yourself to be in touch with it and to have it wash over you, wash over you. So the tools are breathing to four, or at least four, uh, sacred words, letting go. Now, two things are going to happen. What you're trying to do is you're trying to get to awareness. But awareness isn't something you can make. You can't say, I am going to be aware. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you need the tools to get to awareness, but that's the, the cognitive state. So there's no, uh, there's no thinking like there isn't one, verbal, vocal, or two, meditation. But what's the beauty of this is that God can be God as God is with nothing added by you, which only limits the presence and the experience of God. Does that make sense? We're trying to get you to the experience. We're trying to get you to the experience of the living God. And by your uh, sacred word, you're stating your intention to be with God and to live out of that. So two things are going to happen when you're in this state. 
Now, if you say to yourself, oh, I'm in the state, you're not in the state. <laughs> Why? Because you, you had to think to say that. <laughs> no thinking allowed. Okay? So two things are going to happen. You're going to be distracted. Let's see. I hear ventilation. I hear ice in a cup. I'm not being accusatory. I'm trying to point out examples. <laughs> Not to make you uncomfortable, but things are going to happen. Uh, there's going to be noise. You're going to be distracted. Or you're going to start thinking. Usually the thought is, am I doing this right? Who is he? What does he know? I don't believe this. He's nuts. I wouldn't trust anybody with a beard. He's Italian. Oh, no. You know, Catholic. Ah! You know, so whatever the thoughts, uh, just put them aside. Put them aside. Because now you've got tools. You see, they usually just say, sit still. Oh, yeah, easy for an OCD kind of person. Sit still. You need tools. But now you can go back to the word, the breathing, the letting go. Does that make sense? OK. Uh, some people like to just think about <clears throat> the distraction like a boat. And Father Keating, uh, in his uh, Open Mind, Open Heart, talks about different levels of preoccupation with thoughts. And he says the first. Well, I've changed these a little bit myself. I've added to them. Uh, but he says the first thing is uh, a thought is uh, you see a boat coming down a river. Just let the boat pass by. Ah, there goes a boat. That's the, 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 the least deep level of engagement. There's a boat, let it go. This would be like Teresa of Avila would have this kind of a uh, frame of mind. The second level is you say, oh, nice boat. Oh, I love the hull. Look at the mainsail. It's got a Genoa. Now it's going to be harder to let go because you're a little more engaged in it. So the third level is I'm just, just going to go down to the river and see the boat a little closer. I'm just going to pass right by. I'm going to just see this boat. Now you're, I mean, you've got action. You're involved. So it's not only got your attention, you like it, and you're moving toward it. The fourth level of engagement with thoughts is that you get on the boat. <laughs> now you're on the freaking boat. It's like, what am I doing here? And now you're completely engaged. But it's not as bad as the fifth stage. Fifth stage, you're in the galley preparing dinner for everybody on the boat. <laughs> so uh, those are good, you know, you got to catch yourself. Because this is about disposing yourself to God's presence. So you've got, two, two, you've got three tools. Uh, Breathing to four, uh, sacred words, and letting go. And you've got two obstructions, uh, uh, distractions and thinking at different levels. It's OK to catch yourself thinking. Just pull back and go back to the words, or think of it as a boat just passing by. Now, regarding distractions, an, an easy way to deal with distractions is uh, to, uh, to, to, to make them into what we call white noise. So you know, girls who are from the country can't sleep in the city. It's too noisy. And girls in the city can't sleep in the country because there's, there's not enough noise. It's too quiet. So uh, what we do is we acclimate ourselves to the level of noise often. And short of a crying baby while the rector is preaching, it doesn't happen here, I know, uh, short of a screaming child, it's not a problem. Just realize the noise. Incorporate it. So, for example, if it's ventilation, I always think of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost kind of breathing over the group. 
If it's people in the kitchen making noise, rattling around, I think I'm in the Last Supper, and they're getting the meal ready. Uh, if it's somebody complaining about something, I think of Martha and Mary. I'm Mary at Jesus' feet, and Martha's <laughs> complaining. Uh, so uh, that, that's all incorporating distraction in a creative way. Okay? So there's nothing then holding you back. There's nothing holding you back for this third kind of prayer. Uh, as uh, Pringle said, it's part of, it was part of our tradition, uh, but it, it goes back to the time of Jesus. Jesus prayed all three ways, and no way is bad. They just accomplish different kinds of things. Uh, so Jesus, for example, uh, at Shabbat, every Shabbat, you know, Mary would light the candles, and Joseph would say the prayers, and on we'd go. So it was verbal prayer. Then on Saturday, he'd go to the synagogue, and he would uh, you know, participate with his parents. Uh, meditation, uh, he was replete with meditations. I mean, every time he passed a field or, or saw something growing or grapevines, or, he would make a story out of it to tell those who were following him how to engage. He was talking about them. He's having to meditate to contact his love, his mission, his purpose in the world. What about contemplation? Well, for contemplation, he did that a lot, but specifically before making big decisions. Jesus goes into hiding, as it were. He even leaves hungry people, ailing people, to be off by himself with the Father. What do you think he's doing? Of course, he's not saying the Lord's Prayer. We know that. He hadn't thought of it yet. Um, it depends. It depends on what part of the gospel you're at. But what he was doing was he was in union with the Father, in union with the Father, without distraction, without thinking, just resourcing so that the grace and the power of the love of God, his Father, could flow back and forth through him. Because every time he's done with contemplation, he comes out of it to make big decisions. He decides to go back to go to Jerusalem the last time. He chooses the 12 disciples. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, he comes out of the, uh, the 40 days and 40 nights. So every time there's a big decision, Jesus uses contemplation as a way of resourcing. So your prayers in contemplation are different from your prayers in verbal vocal prayer. See, verbal vocal prayer, column one of the three columns, you're going to remember these columns, I hope, because they're on the test. Nobody gets out <laughs> without naming these three columns, okay? So in column one, uh, the prayer is, uh, please be with my Aunt Dolores, who's suffering from cancer and in her five stages. Give us strength, Lord, to cope with this. Help her feel the love of her, you know, so on. Then you wait for an answer. And the best we can do often is how God has, may have answered it directly or answered it in different ways. In, contem in, in meditation, um, it's a different kind of prayer. Um, because you're creating a scene and you're engaged in it, uh, the answer to your prayer is more uh, what God is saying to you in this story, whether it's uh, Zacchaeus up in the tree or Nicodemus or whoever it is. With contemplation, there's really no, Lord, gimme, gimme, gimme. It's just more your intention is to be with God that you may live out of that presence. So that's the prayer and the answer. That's the prayer and the answer. And as Anne illustrated, her life changed because of that flow of grace, the grace that it was always there, but that 
it had been dammed up or it, it just wasn't able to flow as, as it wanted to flow. And, and so that's an important piece of that. Um, okay, so that's prayer. That's three kinds. So the book. Uh, what I decided was, and by the way, in terms of transformation, this is not who I ever thought I'd be. Uh, I was in a, in a street gang in, in uh, New York, uh, the Imperial Spades, by the way. <laughs> a big black jacket with a spade on it. I came home from high school one day with a spade. At, and my mother said, what is that? I said, I just joined a club. She said, a club? It looks like a hoodlum group. She said, where did you get the money? I said, well, I saved for it. What did it cost? Wait, I don't know. And she cried. She cried that whole day. So uh, then I wanted to get out of the Imperial Space. And they wouldn't let, you know, it's kind of like you get shot you, once you're in some, you know how high school is treacherous. You all went to high school, so you know. <laughs> oh, the girls aren't that way, but the guys are. So it was hard to get out of. But what I, I, I remember going to her and saying, Mom, I, I need to get out of this. I, this is not good. My, uh, my grades are down. And, I want to go to college. She said, honey, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Um, anyway, so I did get out of it, and he did get out of it, and here I am. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's all been a response, I think, from that years of a 10-year-old uh, responding to God's operate, operating in your life. So the book. Uh, I wanted to create something. I had this urge to write to help people on retreats that I do experienced this transformation, particularly that Anne talked about and that, that happened in myself. And so I, uh, they all wanted to pray, but they didn't, <clears throat> they, and they read the mystics and they'd read John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila, but they had no way, they needed directions, they needed like a format, a template to do this. And that's kind of why I, I used a lot of different authors and created this book that is kind of a manual to help you uh, experience the presence of God. So what it was for me was, uh, how do I get this into writing? How do I get this into writing? And that's how I developed this idea of, oh, I know uh, a tool, the two tools, the three tools, excuse me, what the experience is like. And then once you're there, how do you, how do you maximize staying disposed? Well, you, how do you deal with distractions? How do you deal with thoughts? And the other piece of it is that when you come out, are you the same person who went in? Well, that's an interesting question. If we're going to say that prayer is effective, who's going in and who's coming out? And what's it got to do with the intention to be with God and to live out of that presence? And that's kind of what set the template for the book. How to get in how to stay in, that is stay disposed so grace can flow. But then here's the other piece that's important. When you come out, so what? Did you just have a nice relaxing half hour? Now I try to do a half hour in the morning, not try, I do a half hour in the morning and a half hour in the evening. But who's the person coming out? Remember the intention of the sacred word, to be with God and to live out of that presence. So the book then talks about part two. How do you, how does what you experienced make a difference for you? And how do you create a future out of that grace? So that, so for example, if I am experiencing uh, union with all, just a sense of love and compassion for everyone, that's what I've experienced. 
when I come out of that, what, how, might I, how, might I art, how might I articulate that in a concrete way? Well, it could be that the person I meet today that I find very difficult to accept for whatever my narrow reasons are, I'm going to make a special uh, effort to be with that person in a special way, to engage, to talk, to try to move through my, my block, whatever the block is. What's interesting is, is when that actually happens in the course of the day, I'm using this, Michael, because he's my friend, I can, he can feel as ill at ease as he wants. Uh, <laughs> when I encounter that person and I, I'm actually doing this, it's not you doing it. It's the grace of God from the morning's prayer. Remember, you, your intention to live out of the presence. So if I do that with him and do it with another and so on, I'm starting to live the life of God. That's a little beyond me. That's rooted in the grace of the presence. Does that make sense? Nod your head. Yeah, no? Yeah? Okay. This is part of the test, so you've got to get this. Okay. So the last thing I want to say is, so, so now we've got three kinds of prayer, verbal, vocal, meditation, contemplation. We've got the way, the steps to get into, to dispose yourself to God's presence, uh, the attention to be with and to live out of. We talked about how to stay there, maximize that presence, and we talked about intentionality, how to live out of that. Now, what you're going to start noticing is, if you do this, I don't know if the book says this, I don't know, I think it does. If you do this for a week, or two weeks, and see what your intentions were. You start to see how God is operating in your life. You start, and there's, there's ways to track, it's called, tra- I call it tracking. So if you take five minutes, is all it takes, or 10 minutes, or 20 minutes, uh, it's advised that you do two 20-minute sessions if you can. Uh, I do two 30-minute sessions, but whatever you can do. If you do this, you're going to start living concretely out of the grace of God's presence. That's experienced by you beyond your imagination, because that's meditation, beyond your words, that's verbal vocal, but by the presence. And it's all wrapped up in that little word, the sacred word. And then as you look at that, say what Mondays was, what Tuesdays was, you start to say, oh my goodness gracious, I, there's a lot going on here about uh, being with and loving people as they are. A lot of repetition here. After a month of this, you should start to see the whole column. You say, whoa, I may get into a ministry that deals with diversity. Who knows? But you start to track and see how God is manifesting God's self to you. Does that make sense? So that's the book in a nutshell. I think it has a, uh, sales are pretty good. It's it's really got a niche that's, that is helpful to people because it reads like a manual. So having said that, it's five after. Uh, I know a lot of you, many of you have to get on. Uh, You're having your chocolate. I'm going to have chocolate too as soon as I'm done with this. (laughs) I don't want to be too excited. Uh, Any questions about what I've just said or, yes? Oh. One with. One with. But we must go out and right. with 
Okay. You can, does it make sense? Good point. So the, if I understand the question correctly, it's while you're experiencing the presence, the goal is one, one, at one time to come out of it. But how do you come out of it? Do you lose the presence of God? Is that what you're saying? So. You don't lose the presence of God. Because you're just not in prayer in contemplative presence. You're living out of the presence, and God is now manifest in through you. Is that helpful? Anybody else? Okay, so having said that, um, I'll close with just this, that um, there are 44 ways that are documented that change the, how contemplation changes people's lives. Uh, the author is Michael Brown. Uh, there are 44 ways that have been documented. So for example, uh, and I've got my best friend here to, who's probably going to nod his head and just smile. Um, I heard from different groups that I had changed. So I belong to an Emmaus group of priests who meet once a month overnight. I belong to a Shalem listening circle uh, that meets monthly. I belong to uh, a peer group of spiritual directors uh, who meets monthly. And I have a best friend, and who else? I guess that's about it for a while. So what I, hear, what I heard several years ago was, Nicholas, you've changed. And people tell me that in different venues, that would not have spoken to each other. So I'm wondering, well, what's going on here, and what's, what are they seeing? And how's it coming about? Because I want more of this. And so uh, I started to write these things down. So here was some of the, uh, here's some of the thoughts. That I, 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 was, I moved slower, if you can imagine that. <laughs> I moved slower. Uh, secondly, uh, I, uh, I did not have, uh, I, I didn't have uh, preferences for things. So if we were going out to a dinner and we wanted uh, Thai food or Italian or Chinese, it didn't matter. Uh, and one of the mantras I live with is, everything's important, Nicholas, and nothing matters. In the end, nothing matters. Everything, I don't mean love of God doesn't matter, but you know what I'm saying. So everything's important. So when I get, when I get gripped onto something, it becomes life or death. I just say, no, nothing matters. Just let it go. Um, uh, I was a better listener. Uh, I had calmed down a little bit. Uh, I was more reflective. Uh, I was praying more. Uh, yeah. Uh, I can tell you this last little story, and then I'm go, because they told me till 1.10. Um, one of the things that, and this is St. Ignatius. Uh, this is kind of his thought. Not his example, my example. But I used to drink uh, uh, martinis. Uh, before dinner, if I didn't have a parish, the clergy here, but if I didn't have a parish meeting <laughs> at night. <laughs> oh, I understand. Yeah, that's true, Jeff. I understand that. You really want to drink. So if I didn't have an evening meeting in the parish as pastor, I would have a martini. And my, uh, the olive was the green vegetable, so I had covered that base. <clears throat> I hadn't met Dr. Ann yet, so olives were green vegetables. And um, so I started to realize that... Um, I had the, I'd take the martini to my prayer chair, and I'd say my, my office, my prayers, and, uh, and I'd have a sip. And, and I started to realize that you get a high from the martini, and you get a high from prayer, from contemplative prayer. And I started to ask in the best Ignatian kind of way, what's the difference in the high? 
And the martini high was a little dizzying, a little heavy high. The contemplation high was more like lighter, uh, yeah, more buoyant, more, more satisfying. It had a different feel to it. Of course, it was cheaper. It didn't cost anything. <laughs> no calories, so there were added benefits, of course. So um, I started to uh, take my drink, still take my drink, and I'd, I'd have a sip, and I'd go, I'd do prayer, I'd, I'd do sacred prayer, a sacred word, and I'd get distracted, and I'd say, <laughs> but it was an experiment. It was an experiment. I was really trying to test the highs. And um, I'm not talking drunken highs. I'm just talking cocktail talk highs. So, so I started to bring the glass uh, less and less full until I brought the empty glass. And then I stopped drinking. I never drank again. And it's not because I don't serve cocktails and drinks if you come to my house. It's that it just doesn't satisfy me. It's just, see, I get goosebumps when I say that. It just doesn't, the love of God in contemplative prayer is the most satisfying thing. And this was 2008. So. I have to ask that. Oh, you can't hear without the mic. Okay. Um, is, you know, to do your uh, contemplative prayer in the morning. And one thing I do every single day, no matter what, is have, is have coffee. And I was at first having my coffee and then having my centering prayer. Well, then, in this, I mean, this, I cannot tell you what this is. I said, no, I'm going to have my coffee at the same, I'm going to ha- engage in both simultaneously. And Nicholas said, and what you can do is just take a brief break, take a sip of your coffee, then go back. I was sharing with Pringle recently. And there's no way to tell you how much I love my coffee. I look forward to going to bed so I can get up and have my coffee. <laughs> and let me tell you what's happened, exactly with what, what he's saying. When I'm sitting in that amazing place, that coffee's next to me, it can't begin to be as good as where I am. And now I make my coffee. It sits there. I don't even take a sip of it. <laughs> it's there. I might take a sip before, you know, before I start. I never come out. And the thought of coming, of leaving where I am to go to that coffee is like, so, and that has been a really helpful thing to me. If you love coffee and you want to make sure you do this practice every day, do it when you have your coffee. So. When I'm talking to Methodists, I don't use the cocktail example. <laughs> Thank you for your attention.